Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. You ever wake up in the morning and ask yourself, how in the world did I get to where I am? And I know you hope people, okay? And so what I'm not talking about is that time maybe when you were in college and you woke up on a couch somewhere or in the bushes at somebody's house. You didn't know where that was. You didn't know where your car was. That's not what I mean. I mean like that thing that some of us do every now and then where we wake up and we ask ourselves, how did we get to this place in life where it just seems like it's the same mundane thing day after day, after week, after week, after month, after month. And if that's where you are, I want you to hear me say again, you were made for more. And I talk to people in our church and we hear things like, look, for us, we thought it was going to be, we were going to have kids and things were going to be great. And now I've changed a million diapers and it's lunchtime. And I just fed them again because that's what you do. And we know what's right around the corner. Or maybe, maybe you said, listen, I, I'm going to give myself to corporate America. We're going to make a little bit of money. We get a little money in the bank. And then what happens at some point, we just feel like we've lost our soul somewhere along the way. Uh, or, or maybe you were looking for safety. And now you've got it. You've got some security, but you're in a place that you feel like you're bored out of your mind. And then the thing that we've heard more coming out of COVID than anything else is, listen, I've done everything that society has told me to do, but now I feel empty and I've got these coping mechanisms in my life and I don't really know how to get rid of them. Listen, you were made for more. I was 23 years old and I had a great job, okay? And so I was about 5.30 p.m. I was wearing a shirt and a tie and I was coming home 40 east from RTP. For those of us that are watching online, you don't live around here, RTP's Research Triangle Park is kind of the business park of our area. And as I was coming home, to say I was driving home is a little bit gracious because I was sitting in a parking lot. And I, I had this thought to myself, for some reason on one specific day, it crossed my mind, I said, Jason, what in the world... <laughs> Are you doing? I mean, you were not made for this. And for those of you that don't know, uh, I grew up for the first 10 to 12 years of my life living on a farm. So uh, my stepdad's mother, my stepgrandmother, she had this farmland and she had a house on it. And we lived in a mobile home on that land. And we called it a trailer because, I mean, it was a trailer. And then <laughs> back behind us were these old tobacco fields. And then around the side of her house were these cornfields. And we had this three-wheeler. And so we would take the three-wheeler around Grandma Stella's house down into this area that we called the low grounds. And that's where the cows were. And if you really want to have a good time and you can get a three-wheeler near a bunch of cows, just be careful, all right? Because it can be dangerous too. But we had dogs that lived up under the porches. And I grew up playing G.I. Joe in the tobacco barns back behind the trailer. And I had the life that every young boy born on planet Earth deserves to have. But we're a little bit of country. We didn't know what traffic was. Uh, but, but I grew up needing kind of a little bit different airspace above me than what corporate America was probably going to provide. I grew up, we moved around a little. Uh, I got into middle school and sports kind of became my life. That was my thing. It was football and wrestling, middle school and high school. Football was my first love. Uh, I was better at wrestling, so that's what I ended up doing in college. But sports kind of ruined me because I learned something. I had phenomenal coaches growing up, but this is what I learned. I learned that if you can get a few things together, it can be special. If you can get a group of people that care about each other, 
And then you can get them to believe that they can actually accomplish something together that's bigger than themselves. And then you can train and equip them and empower them to go out and chase after it. That is where the magic happens. That's when you're ready to get up every single day and chase after it. And here's what I knew. I knew I did not have that in my job. And uh, I, I loved my boss. Uh, my boss is great. His name was Mike Oswald. Uh, he invested in me. But, but in that moment, in my car, driving home, sitting in the parking lot that we know is I-40 East, I told God, as if we can tell God anything. But I said, God, if you would ever give me an opportunity to give my life to something that I believed in and allowed me to do it with a group of people that I cared about and they cared about me, I would give everything that I had to it. And if, if you know me for the last 20 years of my life, by God's grace and every single step that I've taken, God's allowed me to have people around me in my life that love me, that encourage me, that I can love and encourage. And we have just chased after things that are bigger than we are and very few days go by without passion. And this is what I've learned. Every single one of us were made to experience a life like that. But I have this tension inside of me, and um, this is why we're kind of in this two-week series that we're calling Made for More. And this tension tells me that there's so many of us right now that are walking around in our lives, and we're so caught up in the mundane that we've actually forgotten how to live. And my hope is just in this 30-minute time that we've got together that God would awaken something inside of us that would help us to understand who it is that we live for and, and how it is that we're called to live. But we need to kind of start with one point. And I want all of you to get this. You were made to live life with a group of people, to believe that you can change the world, and to give your whole life to it. And anything short of that is going to feel empty. I don't care if you start a business and you sell it for $350 million or if you win the Super Bowl. If you miss that piece, if you miss the group of people in your life, if you miss the part about changing the world, because that's what we're called into, you're going to come up empty. And so how do we do it? And I, I want to tell you, the good news is it's not as difficult as uh, you might would think that it is. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 10. We're going to spend there for uh, a few moments. Uh, but Jesus tells us this in John chapter 10. He says, there is an enemy, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, I come that you would have life and that you would have it abundantly. I love how the New Living Translation says it. It says that my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. But he starts out by talking about this guy. He says, listen, there's a bad guy. Right, and he's the devil. And so if you're here, and this is like week two at a church on Sunday, like you came on Easter and now you're here on week two, and you're like, okay, the guy's talking about the devil. I get it. That could be a little bit weird. Just stick with me for a moment. I want you to understand, it is important for us to believe and to understand the devil is a real thing. He's a real being. Uh, but the devil is most likely not going to show up at your house, kind of like you envision in the movies, and then like maybe uh, have your spouse run up in the corner by the ceiling and the head spin around three times. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, and some of you, I see your faces right now. You're like, well, if that's what the devil does, maybe I do believe in the devil because that happened just last night. We have a marriage ministry. It's called Reengage. Uh, Dave L. at GetHope.net. He would love to, to hear from you. That's not what the devil does, though. Most of the time, more times than not, what the devil does is he'll sneak in, and he'd rather you just believe that he's kind of harmless, or, or, or even better, let you believe that he doesn't exist. And what he'll do is he'll sneak into different areas of your life, and he'll get you to kind of forget about the people in your life that you really care about. 
Uh, he'll distract you from living for the things that really matter in life. Uh, he'll get you to, listen, I see this all the time right now. Uh, he'll get you to focus more on being right than on loving other people. He'll get you focused on, on chasing after that paycheck or climbing the ladder as opposed to adding value in people's lives. And so the devil, like, look, there's things like affairs and abuse and addiction and corporate fraud. But by and large, most of the time, it starts with these little subtle battles. And so we've got to be aware. Jesus is saying, listen, don't forget, there is an enemy. He'll still kill and destroy. And it looks a lot like that, mon that mundane life that we were talking about just a moment ago. But Jesus says, but I came that you would have life and you would have it abundantly. What does that look like? I don't know what it looks like for you. But Jesus said in John chapter 14, just four chapters later, he says in verse 12, I tell you the truth. I came, and if you do, if you believe in me, and if you do the things that I do, that even you will do even greater things than I have done. And so Jesus, I'm just telling you, whatever made for more is in your life, I don't know what it is, but what Jesus tells us is that it's greater and it's even more than what he did. But he's saying, if we're going to do that, we've actually got to believe the things that he said and we've got to do the things that he do. So you ask, what are the things that Jesus did? And I'll tell you, what Jesus did not do was live a self-focused, safe life. He just didn't do it. Jesus went through life with incredible intentionality, with a group of people around him that he cared for. And he lived a life of laying down his life for the sake of other people, ultimately to change the world. And he's calling us into doing the same thing. And so I want you to hear me say, if you were living a life, if you're tired of this, like, man, what am I supposed to be giving myself to? It's this. You're supposed to have a group of people around you in your life. You're supposed to believe that you actually can be a part of change in the world, and you're supposed to give your whole self to it. And so I want to help us see how we can do that. So what I want you to do is turn over to Mark chapter 5. And uh, Matthew chapter 5, rather. We're going to be talking about verse 13 through 16. I'm going to read through this real fast, top to bottom, and then we're going to pick it up uh, right there at Matthew 5, verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But instead, they put it on a lampstand that it gives light to everyone who's in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Matthew 5, 13, right out of the gate. Uh, here's what's happened up to this point in Matthew. So Jesus, he had just been baptized. He went into the desert for 40 days. The Bible says he was tempted by the one we just talked about, the devil, he comes out, he calls his disciples to follow him. They start to follow him. And then he's going around and they're actually healing people. All right. They're healing paralytics. They're casting out demons. It says they're bringing the good news of God's kingdom. So now he's got a lot of people following him and he is giving what we refer to in the church as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. And he's basically telling people, this is what abundant life looks for. And he tells them this, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world right out of the gate. You're the salt of the earth. Now, admittedly, that's not like the most compelling statement, right? You're telling me my life is made for more, and now you're telling me I'm salt. I mean, that's, that's a little, that could seem a little weak. Uh, full transparency, uh, this week when I was just kind of wrestling with, God, what passage of Scripture do you want me to share with the church this weekend? And I hit this, and I was kind of like, I don't know. It, it might seem a little boring. 
Um, and then the Holy Spirit kind of reminded me the way that only the Holy Spirit can, that like this was the sermon that Jesus preached. And unless I wanted to have a conversation with Jesus about whose sermon was more boring, I probably should just roll with it. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to go. So he says, you are the salt of the earth. Notice he doesn't say you're the CEOs of the earth. He doesn't say you're the power players of the earth. He doesn't say you're the millionaires of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Let me ask you a question. What, what do we use salt for? To, to make things taste better, right? And very few people eat salt just for salt. But ultimately, if you want to eat something to make it taste good, you put salt on it. Um, I love to cook. One of my favorite things to do on the planet is after the church gets together on Sunday afternoon is to drive home to go by the butcher's market and to pick up maybe like some 8-ounce fillets or some 16-ounce ribeyes. I think we got a picture of some of them. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. So you get those steaks and you take them home. And the truth is you could just throw them on the grill and cook them and they would be good. But no, 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 you don't, you don't want to do that. What you want to do is you want to get this right here, this hardcore carnivore black beef seasoning. All right. Listen to this. This is what's in it. Sea salt. Okay. Salt to the earth. Garlic, sugar, black powder, chili, chili powder, onion, and activated charcoal. That's what you want to do. You want to set your steak out. And you want to get this seasoning and you want to sprinkle it all over top of the steak. And you want to rub this salt all down into the nooks and the crannies of that thing. And then you want to flip it over. And you want to do the same thing. You want to get more seasoning and you want to sprinkle this all over the top of this thing. And you want to rub it down, down into the nooks and crannies. And you're not done yet, okay, because you've got to let it sit there. It's actually got to be there and break down. So then you wrap it back up and you come over and you put it in the fridge for at least 30 minutes. All right, you've got to leave it there for a while. I recommend a little bit longer. And then whenever you're ready to eat, you take it back out of the fridge. You don't cook it right away. Whatever you do, don't do that. It's too cold. You'll ruin it. you got to set it on the counter and let it get back up to room temperature. And then go light the grill. you got to go to your grill, light it. You want to get it. To, I get mine. I've got a Wilmington grill, stainless steel. You want to get it up to about 500 or 600 degrees. I've got this cast iron thing. So you do that. If you have a big green egg, they'll get a little bit hotter than that. But my wife and kids are here. So I'm going to say this out loud. I don't have a big green egg. I've asked for a big green egg. I don't have one, but that's just, you know, for my wife and kids. So you put it on the Wilmington grill. So then you go and you get it at 600 degrees. You throw it on there for two minutes. You get it charred on one side. You turn it over two minutes on the other. And some of you are saying, no, 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 no. You got to reverse sear it. We can argue later. I don't have a lot of time. So then you've got another grill that's 10 years old and the bottom's rusted out. I do, but it can, it, it'll stay at a low temperature. So you take it off that and you put it on that at about 250 or 300 degrees, two and a half minutes on one side. Two and a half minutes on the other side. You get it like that medium rare, just past that temperature. You take it off. You bring it inside. You set it on the counter. For goodness sakes, don't cut it yet. All the juices will come out. You've got to let them, um, I don't know the word, coagulate? I don't know. What's the word? You've got to let it harden back up. Wait five minutes. And then you cut that thing open and you eat it. And that seasoning down in the marbling, it's kind of like marinated and then it's on the grill. Oh, my goodness. What are we talking about? <laughs> Jesus is saying, you are like that seasoning. You are supposed to make things taste better. We're supposed to bring this God-like seasoning into the world around us. Notice, he doesn't say you're the steak, okay? A lot of times as Christians, we kind of pretend like the world revolves around us. That's not true. That's when we mess it up. You're the seasoning. You make things taste better. So what does this mean for us in our lives? 
This means that wherever God has placed us, where we live, learn, work, or play, we're supposed to be the salt. We're supposed to make things taste better. Uh, Gary Vett, one of our pastors on staff in a lot of ways, he's kind of like a mentor to me, but he, he talks about the, the church when we gather together on the weekends, we're kind of like the salt block. But, but during the week, we're actually the salt shaker. We're sprinkled out into the world around us. So wherever we are, that's where we bring this God-like taste. Now, I'd also like to tell you that some of us, especially over the last couple of years, we've had this tendency to get a little bit inward focused. We've kind of stayed a bit close to home. And some of us need to find a way to get out into the nooks and crannies, if you will, uh, of the world around us. And what does that mean? PTA. Uh, youth coaching, maybe it looks like getting into like town council, local government, not to try and legislate Christianity. I think we get in trouble when we try to do that, but to bring this God-like flavor and this God-like seasoning to the world around us, okay? Moves on. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled on by other people. I hear a lot of people talking about the church and how it's not fair that the church is constantly getting trampled on and ran over by the world. And I wonder if it's a good idea for us as a church just for a minute to stop and ask ourselves, have we lost our taste? Have we lost that God-like seasoning? That's a dramatic pause. Here's the thing. I get, I get emails sometimes and it asks, hey, are we, are we really lifting up the right theology? Is the church really standing up for what it believes in? And I, I would ask the question, is the church really doing what we believe in? Because sometimes we can get so focused on being right and lifting up the right theology and making sure people know exactly what we believe that we forget that God's actually, no, no, let's make sure that we address people in a loving way. I just think we got to be aware. We're the salt of the earth. It moves on, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill could not be hidden. Uh, my wife, uh, she is from Hendersonville, the mountains of North Carolina, God's country out there, uh, beautiful place. Um, and so uh, my in-laws still live there, her parents. Um, and so they, sometimes they listen uh, online. So if you guys are listening, you're the best in-laws I've ever had. Love you guys. If you get on, uh, if you go, some of you will get that later. If you get on 40 West and you head towards the mountains, or if you get on I-26 and you kind of come around uh, down south, or, or better yet, if you get on the Blue Ridge Parkway and you start driving around in the spring or the summer, you're going to see these beautiful mountainsides, okay, these beautiful hillsides. And if you do it in the fall, you're going to see this beautiful palette of colors. And then every now and then you'll kind of see this cutout and there'll be a gorgeous house right there. And you just can't miss it because it's right there. You know what I think every, you know what I do every single time I see this beautiful mountainside and I see this house right on the hill, you know what I do? I sin. I covet. I want, I want the house. I want to be able to go there. And um, if that's you, if you have that house, that's great. I'm glad that God's blessed you. You should just know that it causes the rest of us to stumble just a little bit. But if you can see that house on the side of a mountain, we said, how much more could you see a whole city on the side of a hill? And, and the visual here is like if there's a mountain or a hill off in the distance at night and they all have their lamps lit, you would know exactly where that city is. So he says that we should let our light shine before men. He says, listen, you wouldn't light a candle and put it under a bowl. No, you'd actually put it out on a lampstand to bring light to everybody in the entire house. He says, in the same way, we should let our light shine before men 
so that the world would see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. We should actually be out in the world and doing good things. And I want to talk just for a minute about that good works because this is kind of easy to, to mess up uh, or to miss. Um, our good works don't have anything to do with our right standing before God. Um, to be a Christian, to be in this right standing place before God, um, that has to do with everything we talked about last weekend. Uh, Jesus took our sin and our shame and all of our mistakes and he went to a cross and he paid a penalty that we deserve to pay. And then he went down to a tomb, and then three days later, he rose again, overcoming sin and death. The Bible says that whoever believes in that, believes in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. But did you know that you can actually not perish and have everlasting life, but while we're here on this side of eternity, we can actually live a mundane, meaningless, pointless life. But Jesus said, no, 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 I came so that you could have an abundant life. But you have to believe in me. You have to believe in the things that I've done. You have to do the things that I've done. And if you do, you will do even greater things. We have a role and responsibility to be salt in the world around us and to bring the light and the love of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Uh, I coach youth sports. Uh, a lot of you know that. Uh, many of you probably don't know how I originally got started coaching in youth sports. It's a super spiritual reason. Uh, my six to seven-year-old son at the time, he's now 13, he wanted to play football. And I know there's a lot of people that coach that probably shouldn't be coaching. And so I just wanted to make sure he was going to be safe. And so that's it. That's the only reason I started coaching. And so I signed up. I was just going to carry some water bottles, carry some equipment, whatever I could do, just to make sure I was out there. Um, I really didn't want to get all that involved. Um, that lasted about a minute. But what I realized, even in that first year, with these little six and seven-year-olds, it probably had no business playing football at the time, but it's, it's okay. And I don't even know if you could call it football, but we had a great time. Um, we also didn't lose, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> it's not what it's about. What I learned with that time with those boys is I had an opportunity to invest in these guys and help these young boys grow, even if it was just for a few months, uh, to point them in towards what it means to grow as a young man. I had an opportunity to invest in some families that otherwise I never would have had an opportunity to do. And by God's grace, I ended up being a coach of the team, a head coach. And now here we are six to seven years later, and I've got this same group of kids over in the town of Garner that I've coached. There's been 12 to 14 families that have stuck together for seven years. And now they're coaching, playing at North Garner Middle School. Last year I was the offensive coordinator there, and they've asked me to come back and be the head coach. And, and we, I have relationships with these kids and these families. And I'm going to tell you, short of being the husband to Diana and the dad to Aiden and Addison and Connor, um, and I've done a lot of stuff in my life, I don't know if I've ever done anything else in my life that gives me as much purpose is investing in these guys. And it's the same thing um, with wrestling. Now, hear me say, this is not a message. This should not be a sermon that's about, hey, you need to do better. You need to do good. This isn't about how you need to be good Christian boys and girls because I promise you, um, I have some moments as a coach. Um, and my, my, my wife, she'd be the first to tell you that. Um, 
My other coaches, the coaches I coach football with, goodness gracious, the coaches that I coach wrestling with, they would tell you, yeah, we got some stories. Uh, the parents of kids on my team, the parents of kids on other teams, they will tell you I have some moments. So it's not, but it's not about being perfect. But you know what I've had the opportunity to do in those moments? I've had the opportunity as a man to stand before a group of kids and to stand before a group of adults that may have never really even heard the name of Jesus and say, listen, um, we talk a lot about being one team. We talk a lot about being men of character. And God has actually called me to live my life in a certain way. And, um, and I dropped the ball here. And I need to own that. And I need to tell you I'm sorry. And I need to ask your forgiveness. And just like that, you have an opportunity is a man to actually live out what the gospel really represents for a group of kids that truthfully, I mean, owning our own stuff is one of the hardest things that we'll ever do in our lives. You have an opportunity to teach parents. Like it's okay to recognize when you've done something wrong. And so it's not about that. Did you guys show the pictures of some of these kids? Did you guys show those yet? Look at that. So that was like six years ago. So that's my son, another kid. Let's keep going. Okay, so that was like two years in. So just leave it right there. Like three or four of those kids, they're still playing with us right now. And that was like five years ago. Keep going. Yeah, it was after a championship. Keep going, keep going, keep going. It was praying after a game. Get, nobody tells us you can't pray, so we just pray sometimes. Uh, what else? Keep going. Yep, after the championship, and then I think there's one of wrestling. And let's go to the last one. Uh, these four guys, so these, uh, those two guys on the end there, um, they were at our Garner campus. That was at Easter last week. And we've probably got six, eight guys that just show up at our Garner campus every week that are part of that football team. The only reason I show you that is because I want you to know that if you would just be willing to take a step out and say, listen, I'm willing to be sprinkled out into the nooks and crannies of the world around us, you don't have to have a theology degree. Okay, you just have to understand, you know, God wants to use me. He said that, that he's created me to have an abundant life. And that's going to happen by doing the things that he's done. And I just got to be willing and I got to step out and do it. A few months ago, I was having lunch with the campus pastors. Uh, I try to have lunch with them once a month, have breakfast with them uh, once a month. And a few months ago, Doug Stride had sent me some questions. Our Morrisville campus pastor, shout out to our people out at Morrisville. Love you guys. Uh, but Doug asked this question. He said, I'd like for you to tell us. What's the one thing that you're the most concerned with in the life of the church? What's the thing you're the most excited about with the life of the church? And then what's the one thing that we can do as campus pastors to kind of move us in that direction? And this is what I told him as it relates to um, what I'm concerned about. I said, I am concerned that the church, and I don't just mean hope, but like the church overall, okay, Big C Church is filled with men and women who are potentially apathetic towards the things of God. And, um, and it might not even be that they're apathetic. It might just be that they're asleep. And I want to be careful what I say. I mean, I think this past weekend for at Easter, all of Hope's campuses, I think we had somewhere around 15,000 men, women, and students in online engagements. It's insane. So, and, and this church impacts the community. So, I want to, again, I want to be careful uh, how I say this. But, but what's happened um, over the last a couple of things have happened. One, over the last couple of years with, with COVID, uh, this atrophy has happened. Uh, remember we said what it takes for, for something to be special. You've got to have a group of people that care about each other. They believe they can change the world. And they've been equipped and empowered to do a thing together. Uh, well, what happened in COVID? Everybody's isolated. So we lose the people that we're hanging out with. We can no longer do the thing, right? Like this gathering, for better or for worse, this is kind of like a big deal in the life of the church. And then the thing that we were all equipped to add value to, we just couldn't do it anymore. And so what happens? Atrophy, 
right? And, and, and you know, we just kind of lose our, our love and our fervor to be able to do the thing that we do. Um, if, if Coach Doran over at NC State, uh, go pack, if he told the guys, listen, you get a day off, that'd be great. They probably bounce back the next day. They're refueled. They're ready to go. If you give them a whole week off, maybe, depending on, like, what they did during that week. But if you went to the team and said, listen, guys, got an idea. We're going to take the next 18 months off. Then we're going to come back and play a game. It's not going to go good. It's not going to go well. And the reason why is because we've atrophied, right? The things that we used to be good at, the things that we used to understand, the things that we used to be passionate about, we've kind of lost our passion. It's the same way right now in the church. And we just, that's okay with what's happened, but it's good just to know that and to own it and to know that we need to do something about it. Uh, Preston McLaurin, he is, uh, he's a guy at our Apex campus. He's actually a contractor. And uh, we were talking to him about doing some work at our house, but he wants all of our money. And so um, I don't know if that's going to happen. But uh, I'll tell you what he does. He walks around the Apex campus and he looks for men that look like they need some encouragement or a kick in the butt. And, uh, but he told me last week we were talking, he said, man, I've talked to so many guys that say it's just been so convenient through COVID to kind of stay at home in my pajamas and drink a cup of coffee and watch the service online. Or, uh, and look, I get it. Some people have to do that, health reasons, jobs, all kinds of stuff. So just be careful how you hear this. Um, or, uh, yeah, I've been back at church for a while, and I know I used to serve, but it's just been hard for me to get back in the normal rhythms of what we do, so I haven't jumped into serving yet. And Preston's like, man, I just want to say, like, you're, you're a grown man. Like, you know the, what the church, the value that it adds to your life, and, and you know the value that you actually bring to the church just by being here and sitting in worship and listening to some preaching. That is encouraging to other people that are just here. What in the world? And so... Listen, if that makes you uncomfortable, email Preston. Don't email me because he's the one who said it. In fact, you, you can email me. I don't care. Um, that's one thing I told him. I said, I think COVID is, has been an issue to the atrophy. The other thing, and I'm going to quick point this out very quickly because we, we don't have a whole lot more time, but um, we haven't done ourselves any favors as the church in the West, the church in America, by placing so much emphasis primarily only on our weekend service when we get together or like a 60 to 90 minute podcast that we listen to during the week. That's phenomenal. I loved a couple weeks ago, we heard from Aaron Nelson. By the way, that kid, he is so incredibly gifted. Uh, but he talked to us about this thing when we get together, this is kind of like practice. And then we go out during the week for the game. This, I cannot overstate the importance of coming together. But when we dumb down our faith, to just this one thing that we do 60 minutes a week and we forget that we're actually, you know, we're called to go out into the world to be salt and light and impact the world around us. When we do that, we miss something. And there's a reason why life feels kind of mundane because we're missing the true purpose of what we were created for. That's what I'm concerned with. What I'm excited about is our vision. And our vision as a church, if you don't know, it's, it's to reach the triangle and to change the world. That's not changing. That's very, very broad. And our mission is pretty simple. If you don't know, it's to love people where they are and then to encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what that means um, is that regardless of where you come from, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you do or don't know about Jesus, we don't care. <laughs> We're just glad that you're here. We love that you're here, but we want to encourage you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. But that reach the triangle and change the world piece, that is so big. Uh, we spent some time over the last year just saying, God, what, what does Due North look like for us? Over the next five years, what do you want to see us as Hope Community Church chase after and become? 
And I believe God has given us this vision. He's given us this picture that in five years, um, we see 100,000 men, women, and students thinking and living biblically. The elders have, have rallied around that, and our staff and our lead team are all for this. And you may ask, well, what does that look like? I, I have no idea. I really, I really don't know. I think that God's given us this picture, and so we're going to lead with big faith, and we're going to chase after it. I'll tell you what it probably doesn't mean. It probably doesn't mean us building enough buildings to fit 100,000 people into it at one time. And so what that means is those of us who call Hope Community Church home, we're going to have to reorient our energy and attention to where it's not just what we do in here when we get together, but it's also what it is that we do when we're out there. I see the scorecard changes a little bit. It's what are we doing to actually take this mission of loving people where they are and encouraging them to grow in their relationship with Jesus out to the world around us that desperately needs it? How do we own what it means to be salt and light wherever we live, learn, work, and play? As I was thinking through this this week, um, there were um, four different groups of people that kind of jumped out to me, and um, I don't know why. But they did, and I'm talking, so I get to, to share them with you. Um, one, one is single parents. Um, I have three kids on my football team that uh, have single moms, and um, I, I have no idea how they get it done. But if you can hear my voice and you are a single mom, if you're a single dad, I want you to know that you're seen. And I want you to know that we're here for you. But I know that you could hear a message like this and you could think, be salt and light. I get it. But I am so, I, it, is, it takes everything I have to put food on the table, to get my kid clean, to get him to bed, just to start the whole thing over again the next day. And I get it. And if there's anything that we can do to help, please let us know. Go to your campus pastor. We are here for you. But I don't want you to miss something. I don't want you to miss that you have a role and a responsibility to be salt in the life of your child. And you have a role and responsibility to bring the love and the light of Jesus Christ into your family and for your children. There is no greater call on your life. I want to speak really quickly to marketplace men and women. Um, God's call in my life, it was to actually come out of the marketplace. I miss it sometimes, <laughs> but I, I know that I'm doing exactly what God's called me to do. But that's not everybody's call. And, and the thing I want to point out to you is, remember we talked about the evil one earlier. Um, what, what can happen is you can become distracted or, or truth can get distorted just a little bit. And, and you can start to believe that your job is a means to the end of making money. And that's a lie. And that actually will destroy your life. Your job, in truth, is a means to the end of bringing salt and light into the boardroom. It's a means to that end, to be salt and light wherever you are. The money that you get paid on top of that, that's just God's blessing. That's his blessing in your life. And we've got to recognize that we have these teams that we oversee, and we're supposed to be salt and light to those people. We might have a jerk of a boss, but we have a role and a responsibility to be salt and light. Them. Listen, I know in the, um, in the marketplace, it can be really difficult to figure out how do we do this stuff? How do we meet culture where it is? Um, we've got some ministry partners uh, at this organization called Q. And uh, there is this culture summit that's coming up uh, this Friday, I believe, April 28th and 29th. Uh, you can scan that code if you need to go to our website later. But I'll encourage you, just check it out. They've got a lot of great resources to help you live this out in the marketplace. Third group of people I want to talk about, those of us who are married. Um, marriage is hard. 
And the last three years has been incredibly taxing on a lot of us. And, and sometimes it's just good to say that out loud. I have an incredible wife. Um, I love her. She loves me. I think most of the time she likes me. Um, not on weeks that I'm teaching. It's a little bit more grumpy and I'm not at home as much. But um, I was uh, providing some pastoral counseling, I guess, for another married couple this past week. I, I probably should just call it trying to be a good friend. But this couple has every reason on the planet to divorce. Infidelity, addiction, uh, childhood trauma, trauma as an adult. And somehow, as I've been talking to them over the last couple of weeks, they both, this has nothing to do with me, by the way. They both told me independently, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to try to bring Jesus into my home, and I'm going to do everything I can do to do that. And my spouse bolts, that's on them. What they're saying is I'm going to be salt and light in my marriage. And listen, it's working. They, they have hope right now in their marriage that they haven't had in years. And they've got, they've got a tough road to hoe, but they're heading in the right direction. Marriage is tough. Maybe the best thing that you can do right now is just to focus on being salt and light in your marriage. Uh, last group I want to talk to. I want to talk to students for a minute. And this might be a little bit surprising, but I want to talk to middle school students, high school, college. I, I don't care. You're at a place in life right now where the world hasn't got you fully bought in <laughs> to owning your routine and telling you what it is that you're supposed to live for. And, and I've talked to so many 25, 35, 45, 65-year-old men that say, man, I just wished I would have figured this out earlier. And, and I want to say to you as loud as I possibly can, do not let that sneak up on you. You do everything that you can do to live this abundant life that Jesus has called you into. Know who he is. Do the things that he's done and watch what God will do. Because I'm going to tell you what, I believe that there's a generation right now of middle school and high school students, of college students, that they have this raw version of Christianity and faith that I don't know that the church has ever seen in America. And they're going to be as big or larger part of that 100,000 men, women, and students as anyone else that can hear my voice. And so I want to tell you, hold tightly to the things that Jesus is calling you into. You were made for more. This week, uh, made for more for us individually, all right? Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about what made for more looks like for us collectively as a church. We're going to be talking through things like expansion over the next couple of years. We're going to be talking through things like what is our local and global impact going to look like, some, some ministry partnerships that we're furthering here, some things that we're going to be doing in Haiti. And we're going to be talking about an opportunity that we have, something that we're going to be chasing after that's going, to, that's going to help equip you to grow in your relationship with Jesus, but it's also going to be a resource for you to be able to offer to other people, to introduce them to who Jesus is and what he's done for them and help them on their spiritual path. Big things ahead. Whatever you can do to be here next week, you're not going to want to miss it. You were made for more. Do not sell yourself short on what it is that God has created you for. Father, I want to thank you for um, tonight. I want to thank you for um, the time just to open your word and to be reminded that you have created us and that you came so that we can have an abundant life. And I know that there are men and there are women and there are students that are hearing my words right now and they're hearing my voice and they know that there is something more for them in their life. And I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would reach in, you would grab a hold of them and you would help them take the steps that they need to take to discover life as you intended for them. God, you've given us a church. You've given us resources. 
And you've given us a mission and vision. And I pray that you would awaken us to the made-for-more life that you have created us for. And the triangle would not be the same as a result. Lord, we love you. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.